Let's turn to Genesis chapter 50, the last uh, chapter of the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 50. The word visit in the scriptures is, is defined pretty much as the way we know it day to day in our lives is to go for a short visit, a short period of time. And we've all been to visit somebody or had somebody visit us or even visit a place. God visits his people. No one will depart this life without a visit from God. And I'll show you that in the scriptures. At least once, everybody's going to have a visit from God. You see, in Genesis 50, we begin our reading in verse 14, and let's read down through here. Genesis chapter 50. Sorry, I was in Exodus. Genesis chapter 50. And begin reading in verse 14. Joseph returned unto Egypt, he and his brethren, and all that went up with him to bury his father after he had buried his father. And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us. He's going to judge us now for what we did to him and will certainly requiet us or require of us some payment for all the evil which we did unto him. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying the following, So shall you say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee, now the trespass of thy brethren and their sin, for they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father, and Joseph wept when they spake unto him. And I want us to begin here to see Joseph as a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's a type here of Christ. And uh, as you'll see, uh, this will just become more and more obvious. But right here, what we're seeing already is that says so Joseph wept when his brethren came and asked him for forgiveness. Our Lord rejoices when his children come to him. And ask for forgiveness. That's the first type. Verse 18. And his brethren also went and fell down before his face. And they said, Behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? He said, I'm not going to judge you. He's going to have mercy on them here and not judge them for what they did. Even though that's what they deserved. But as for you, he said, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Now, therefore, fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. And Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's house, and Joseph lived 110 years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation, the children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were brought up upon Joseph's knee. 
this reference to little ones and the raising up of children on the knee, again, typifies our Lord Jesus Christ. He loves little ones. I'm glad he does. I'm such a child, so infantile in all my ways and thoughts, and I'm so glad he loves little ones. And then verse 24, And Joseph said unto his brethren, his brothers, I'm going to die, and God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land and into the land which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and, he shall carry, and you shall carry up my bones from thence. So Joseph died, being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Did you notice in verses 24 and 25, two times, not once, but two times, Joseph declares, he takes an oath, which here means to swear or declare that God would visit his brethren. Two times it says that. And the purpose of this visit is to bring his brethren out of Egypt and take them back to the promised land. Joseph didn't declare that God might visit them, that he could visit them, or even that they should, he should visit them. You see what it says? He, said, he says, God will surely, he promises, he guarantees, he surely will visit you. Now, if you came here this morning looking for a blessing, some good news, here it is. If you are brethren, as these boys were brethren to Joseph, he said to his brethren, God will surely visit you and take you from Egypt to the promised land. If you're brethren, brother or sister to the Lord Jesus Christ, I promise you this morning, one day God's going to come visit you and take you out of this place and take you where he is now to the place he's promised since before the foundation of the world. That's the best news I know. He will surely visit you to bring you out and carry you up. Now, some things happened in Joseph's day before these events. Notice Joseph said to his brethren, you thought it evil against me? And his brethren admitted that they trespassed or sinned and did evil unto Joseph, and that's an understatement. Turn back to Genesis 37 with me want us to, not just purely historically, but to put this in perspective, what really happened here, what was done to Joseph by his brethren. In Exodus, I mean, Genesis 37, verse 1, it says, And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob, Joseph being 17 years old. He was feeding the flock with his brethren, and the lad was with the sons of Bilal, and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. He took fabrics and cut them up into squares or patches and stitched together this coat. And the, the people of Christ are stitched together. We're a strange lot, aren't we? I mean, uh, y'all think probably us... Uh, barefoot Kentuckians down there are odd and, and folks down there think that you mountaineers are different and we're a patchwork. 
that the Lord Jesus Christ takes us as his own. And God made it that way. He made this coat for this boy because he loved Joseph. In verse 4, And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and couldn't speak peaceably to him. Every word they said to Joseph was critical or harsh or mean or something. So Joseph dreamed a dream in verse 5, and he told it to his brethren, and they hated him yet more. He said to them, Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. And the dream was that, uh, you know, in a cornfield when they harvest it, they take the corn out and then they take those stalks and tie them together into a sheave, all right? And he dreamed that he was a sheave in a field and his brothers were sheaves and they all bowed to him. Well, they really liked that. That They were all going to bow to their little brother and they were angry at him. Well, then... You know, he told him that dream. A little while later, he had another dream. And he said, I had another dream, fellas. He said, I was a star. Well, they didn't especially like that. And he said, but y'all are stars. Well, they liked that. But then he said, your stars dimmed or bowed to my star. Man, they didn't like this from their punk little brother. They did not like it at all. And they were mad at him. And they hated him. And look over here and... Uh, Verse 12, uh, and his brethren went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel, that is uh, their dad, said unto Joseph, Do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send thee unto them. And he said unto them, Here I am. You know, God had a people down here. And he said to his son, I've got a people down there. He said, I'm going to send you down there. And the son said, Here am I. I'll go. Do you see the picture here as it develops? And he said unto him, Go, I pray thee, see whether it be well with your brethren and well with the flocks, and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron, and Joseph came to Shechem. And a certain man found Joseph. He was wandering in the field where his brothers were supposed to be, and he asked him, he said, where, What seekest you? And, the man, and Joseph said, I seek my brethren. Tell me, I pray thee, where they feed their flocks. You see, Joseph went to the place where they were supposed to be, and they weren't there. They weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing. They were off doing something they weren't supposed to. That sounds like us in Adam. God visited the, the, the garden. Adam wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing. Oh, he did something he wasn't supposed to be doing. That's why he had to leave the garden. And these boys weren't where they were supposed to be doing what they were supposed to do, and therefore they were gone. And verse 17, the man said, They departed hence. For I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. I don't know what was in Dothan, but it wasn't good. And Joseph went after his brethren, just like our Lord came down here after his sheep. And he found them in Dothan. And now listen to this. And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said, here he comes. Let's kill him. Verse 19, and they said one to another, behold, this dreamer comes. The one who dreams that we're nothing and he's everything. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him and cast him into some pit, and we'll say some evil beast devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams then. And Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hand and said, let's, Wait a minute now, let's not kill him. Reuben had the good sense to know that he's going to have to get, somebody's going to have to give an account for what was done to this boy. And he's going, I don't want to have to go home and tell Daddy that what we did. And Reuben said to him, let's not kill him. 
Let's not shed his blood, but let's cast him into this pit that is in the wilderness, and we won't put our hands on him, that he might rid him out of their hands to deliver them to his father again. This, this is so ridiculous. It's as if I handed Danny a gun and said, Cheryl's coming to kill you. Danny turns around and shoots him, and I go, I didn't have anything to do with this. <laughs> no way. I didn't, do, I didn't kill him. These boys think this is going to work. And it shows how, how crazy we are with sin, that we think we're going to get away with what we did to Christ. No. So that's what they decided to do. In verse 23, and it came to pass when Joseph, uh, they had all that, those thoughts and discussions between when he came over the hill and when he got to where they were. And it came to pass when Joseph was coming to his brethren that they laid hold on him, stripped him out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him, and they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty, and there was no water in it. That sound familiar? Our Lord was hanging on the tree, and he said, I thirst. There was no water. Verse 25, and they sat down to eat bread. Now, listen, they had just determined to kill their brother, and they'd thrown him in a pit, and he didn't even have water, and they said, well, now let's sit down and have a good meal. <laughs> I'm telling you, you say this is the height of evil. Man, that is cold, isn't it? They sat down to eat bread in verse 25, and they lifted up their eyes and looked, and behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels bearing spicery and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Now, we're going to take another giant step here in the direction of evil. This boy says, you know, if we just kill him, he said, what's in that for us? You know what the root of all evil is? Love of money. He said, we can have it both ways here. He said, we can kill him and get rid of him, but we can make some money. He said, let's sell him to these guys who are on their way to Egypt and then he'll go down there to Egypt and be sold as a slave, and he'll either work himself to death or they'll beat him to death for us. Man, this is cold, isn't it? Wow. Verse 26, or verse 27, Come, Judah said, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he's our brother and our flesh, and his brethren were content. Wow, they think this is going to be their excuse. We didn't kill him. Verse 28, then there passed by Midianite merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit, and they sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver, and they brought Joseph unto Egypt, 20 pieces of silver. Our Lord was sold by Judas for 30 pieces of silver. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? And Reuben returned into the pit. I don't know where he went, but when he came back from wherever it was, he said, Joseph's not in the pit, and he rent his clothes, and he returned unto his brethren and said, The child's not there. Whither shall I go? And they took Joseph's coat, and they killed a kid of the goats and dipped the coat in the blood. And they sent the coat of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This have we found. Know not whither it be your son's coat. Does this sound familiar? Our Lord is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. His blood was shed that we might be saved. 
And here they took a kid, a lamb, killed it and put the blood on it and took it to the father and said, we don't know what happened to him. Is this his coat? And the father said, yeah, it is. And he rent his clothes and wept and was uh, grieved many days. But now look down at the verse 36. And the Midianites sold him unto Egypt, unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's and the captain of the guard. Now, this Potiphar, you know what his job really was? He was Pharaoh's executioner. He killed those that Pharaoh found guilty of something. You know, one time God put his son in the hands of men and we became his executioner. We killed him. You see the picture here of Joseph as a type of Christ? Now, turn back just a few pages to Genesis 6. And let me ask you this. I wonder if anybody here is thinking what I'm thinking. I mean, these, these, these boys were one nasty lot, weren't they? They're a bad bunch of boys. And they were working overtime to make this as wicked and vicious and diabolical and evil as it could be. When Joseph said, you thought evil against me, that's way too generous. These fellows remind me of somebody. You know who they remind me of? They remind me of me. This sounds like something I'd dream up. I wonder if anybody else here thinks that. Do we know ourselves well enough? God left me alone. This is exactly the way I'd do this. It's a terrible thing. But listen, it's easy to understand. You see in Genesis 6 verse 5, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And look, every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. Listen, these boys were wicked, but they're nothing but a picture of me. And the story continues. And even more evil befalls Joseph as a result of his brethren's evil. He gets down there and is sold to Potiphar. And you know what happens? Potiphar finds out that old Joseph, old Joseph, he's 17. He finds out he's a pretty industrious, wise young man. And he winds up being in charge of everything in Potiphar's house, all his land, all the servants, everything. He's pretty important down there. Looks like he's got it made. Oh, and then Potiphar's wife falsely accused him, and he gets thrown in prison. Our Lord came and lived 30 years. Everybody thought it was fine, thought it was fine. Then he started preaching the gospel, and, boy, they wanted to kill him. They wanted to put him in prison. Then, you know, he's down in prison, and what happens? The man in charge of the prison finds out Joseph's a pretty wise young man, and he puts him in charge of the whole prison. Now, don't understand, Joseph still was a prisoner in the prison, and that was not a good time. Nothing good about that. But, you know, two fellows got thrown into prison there that worked for the Pharaoh. One was a butler and one was a baker. And they each had a dream one night, and Joseph interpreted the dream. And he said one of you is going to get his head cut off, and the other one's going to be restored to his place. And he said... Whichever one of you gets restored to his place, he said, I want you to remember when you get back to Pharaoh, though, you'll say, there's a fellow down there did me a service, thinking maybe, maybe I'll get out of this place. Well, you know what happened? Sure enough, the, the baker got his head cut off, but the butler went back to Pharaoh, and two years passed. He had two more years in the dungeon. Well, then the Pharaoh had a dream. 
And the Pharaoh dreams about these uh, really beautiful fat calves and then these really frail, terrible calves, uh, thin calves. And Joseph interpreted the dream. There's going to be, uh, well, what happened was the butler, it, they called in everybody to interpret the dream and the butler's standing there and nobody can do it. And he says, oh, oh, he says, I remember a guy down there in prison who knows dreams. So Pharaoh summoned Joseph, has him cleaned up, brought before him, and Joseph interprets the dream. He says, there's going to be seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. And the king went, wow, this, this fellow's a wise man. He said, I'm going to make you king and in charge of all of this. You see to it that we store up enough. You handle it however you want. Joseph now went from the dungeon to the palace overnight. Our Lord lived down in this dungeon, this, this prison, a long time. But when he died, he went back, and now he's in the palace. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. Do we see that? He's now the king of Egypt. And what happened? Lo and behold, his brethren got hungry. And the daddy said, uh, you, there's bread down there in Egypt. You boys go down there and buy some. So here they go, and they're down to Egypt, and they get down there, and they, everybody tells them, well, there's one fellow in charge of all, of, all the food, and he's, uh, he's the king of Egypt. And so they're brought in there, and, of course, Joseph is no longer 17. Now he's 30. And these boys come in here. They don't recognize him, but he knows who they are. And when they walk in and they see him sitting on that big throne and see how important he is, you know what they do? Just what the dream said they do. They bowed at his feet and begged for bread. Said, we brought money. And you know the rest of the story. He gave them the, the food and the money and sent them on their way and got them in a situation where they had to bring their little brother down there and... You know, you know the rest of the story. And here's what I want us to see. Turn back to Genesis 50 with me. All of this evil was done to Joseph at the hands of his brothers. And they meant it for evil. They actually enjoyed doing it. But God had other plans. You see what he meant it for in verse 20 of Exodus, I mean Genesis 50. As for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. God took the evil of these men and used it to save untold thousands from starvation and death, including Joseph's wicked brothers. That's a picture. God took the evil of men that was done to his son, Jesus Christ at Calvary, and used it to accomplish great good. He saved a vast number of people from eternal death, and God had mercy on the wicked brethren of Christ. How? Just as Joseph suffered great evil, even at the hands of his brothers, that one day he could show mercy to them. Christ was made sin and punished for it that his brethren could be saved alive. Now, had Joseph not endured all this, everything that he did endure, he never would have been the king who could have saved his brothers from dying. Christ endured death, the death of the cross, that his brethren could be saved from their sin. And Joseph's brethren, you know how they were treated after it was revealed who they were and who their brother was? They were treated, it says, as princes in Egypt. And you and I, if we're in Christ, we're treated as princes in the world to come. 
because of the great things Christ has done, because of his perfect life and righteousness, his people are made the very princes in the kingdom of God. Now, all of this had to happen before Joseph declared or made his oath, God will surely visit. And I said earlier, God visits everyone, all men and women, sooner or later at least one time. This word visit in, in uh, chapter 50 is one word that has two unique meanings. And let me tell you how this works. It means that uh, God will visit, but it, he can visit in one of two ways. He can visit with a kind and benevolent and loving way. Don't you ever have folks who come to visit and you're so happy to see them? You're so glad they came. They come bringing good news and you rejoice that they're in your home and this kind of thing. But then did you ever have somebody knock on your door and say, now you owe me something. I'm here to collect the debt. I, oh, it can mean that too. It can mean one's a visit in mercy, the other's a visit in judgment. And this word visit can mean one or the other. And if God visits with hostile intent, it's a very short visit indeed. God may forbear, but when God visits in judgment, He comes quickly. I want you to, to uh, look in uh, Leviticus 18, just a little bit over uh, Genesis, Exodus, and Leviticus 18. The word visit is used in judgment through the Scriptures, and I'm not going to have you look at a bunch of them, but it, it's not a good thing. You don't want to be visited in judgment by the true and living God. And the worst, I, I, I hate to show you this, but it's the worst thing I could find about a visit in judgment. God promised that he was going to bring these people up out of Egypt and take them to the promised land. When he got to the promised land, do you know who was there? It had to be taken away. That had to be conquered and killed and slain and gotten out of there. Let me read you about these people because they got a visit in judgment. In Leviticus 18, look at verse 20. Moreover, thou shalt not lie carnally with thy neighbor's wife to defile thyself with her. Verse 22, thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It's an abomination. And this goes on to talk about bestiality and a lot of really vile things. And I know, you know we don't want to hear about that, do we? And listen, there's people that... Uh, that say, well, listen, now, I, I, I never did those kind of things. I've never done that kind of evil. Well, the truth of the matter is we did a lot worse. We killed the Son of God. I promise you God views that as far worse than any of these vile things that we just read about. God warned Sodom and Gomorrah, and then he visited in judgment. And it didn't take long. And most religious folks would say, I... I'm not guilty of that stuff. We're guilty of far worse. And a terrible consequence of, God, of, of Adam's fall is that we don't hear the warnings. Listen to what happened to us in the garden. We became deaf to the warning of God's word. We became blind to the coming storm. Why didn't everybody get out of Sodom and Gomorrah? They didn't see the storm coming. We're determined not to bow or yield by nature. We're full of hatred for God's Son. We'd rather die in our sin than to ask God to visit us in mercy. But thank God, He does visit some in mercy. Look at Acts chapter 9. Turn over there with me. It bothered me at first that God 
would visit just briefly. I thought, I don't want a short visit. I want a long visit. <laughs> Until I had this thought, the Spirit of God can accomplish more in a millisecond than you and I can in a lifetime. I can illustrate that to you. You ladies that have children, uh, whether they've all grown up now or you got a brand new one, I promise what you moms will do. You'll give your entire life trying to bend and mold and change those children into what they ought to be. You'll give you everything for that. And you know what? I, I'm, I'm old enough now to realize I see it. I see moms and dads who are really dedicated to trying to raise their children the right way, and it still goes terribly bad. I've learned we can't do it in and of ourselves. We can't. We, we, it's just not in us to make that happen. We don't have that power. Let me tell you who does. The Holy Spirit of God can come into the heart of one of our children, change them that quick. It's the only thing that will ever really help them. Not that we shouldn't make this effort to do what we can, but look at Acts 9 here, an example of how quickly this can happen. Acts 9, verse 1. This is uh, to be the Apostle Paul, Saul. He was breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, any followers of Christ, whether they be men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly, suddenly he had a visit. There shined round about him a light from heaven, and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? He didn't know much, but he knew who he was talking to. It was his Lord. It was his Lord. He recognized him instantly. It didn't take much of a visit to accomplish that. And the Lord said, I'm Jesus whom you persecute. And he said, you can't kick against me. You can't resist my power. When I come for a visit, I'm going to visit. You know, the, uh, you, you get somebody, uh, a debt collector come to your door, you don't have to answer the door. <laughs> you can hope he goes away. No, no, if the Lord visits in judgment, he's not going away. If he visits in mercy, he's not going away. Verse 6, and he trembling, astonished, said, Lord, what do you have me do? I'll do anything you have me do. And the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. They didn't get to visit in mercy. Do you see that? He came to Paul out of that whole group. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he couldn't see. And they led him by the hand and brought him unto Damascus, and he was there three days without sight, and neither did he eat or drink. Now, listen to this. The Spirit of God has to come just for a short visit, and the results will be permanent. They'll be everlasting. The visited in mercy will not go back. They'll be profound. The visited in mercy are never the same again. And thirdly, they'll be immediate. The visited, they churn, they change, they turn, they repent and they're baptized. That's how we recognize when somebody's had a visit from our Lord. There's a change. And Paul is the perfect example. Listen to the change. He One day, he, he was on his way to persecute and to kill the people of God. Now he wants to save them. One day, he despises the gospel. Now he's going to preach it. One day, 
He's persecuting Christians. Now he's in love with them. One day he's cursing Christ, and now he worships him. Do we see the change? How instant this visit had a change. And the scriptures are full of illustrations and examples of this. Christ visited fishermen and made them fishers of men. He visited a blind man and made him see. He visited a crazy man in the tombs and made him sit down at his right mind. He visited a leper and made him clean. He visited a palsied man enabled him to walk. He visited a tongue-tied man, and then he could talk. He visited a cheating publican and made him an honest disciple. He visited a dead man's daughter, I mean a man's dead daughter, gave her life. He visited a woman's, a woman whose only son had died and made him live. Now, here's the question. What's our problem tonight? After that list, what's our problem that the Lord can't can't visit us and fix it? Huh? And I realize it doesn't mean if you get a visit in mercy from the Lord Jesus Christ, He's going to fix all our real problems, our eternal problems. That doesn't mean we're not going to have trials and tribulations and troubles in this life. But let's not do this. Let's not sit here and uh, deceive ourselves thinking somehow, some way, all this is going to work out some way fine. It's not. If we've never had a visit from God, may we be made to know it right now. Philip asked the eunuch, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I let some man show me? May God show us tonight or this, today what a visit from him will do. I'll tell you, in time, if we get that visit, it's because the Spirit of Spirit of God has come to us in mercy. He's let us know that Christ took care of all our real trouble, put away our sin at Calvary under His blood, and gave us His righteousness. And you may still have some trials and afflictions, but your real trouble's gone. And if anyone here doesn't know what I'm talking about, if you've never had a visit from God, ask Him for it. Do you know in this life, hear me on this, in this life, some folks sit in their home day after day, month after month, year after year, and they never have a visitor. Now, there's a reason for that. You know what the reason is? They never ask anybody to come visit them. You say, oh, that's too simple. No, it's not. No, it's not. I tell you what, if, you've never, if you haven't had a visit in a long time, call somebody and ask them to come by. You'll find out they probably will. You can certainly call your brothers and sisters here. They'll come see you. If you don't get a visit, it's because you didn't ask for one. And you say, well, well you know, uh, if, and if the application here is if Christ never visits you in mercy, it's because you didn't ask him to. You say, what if I'm not one of the elect? That's an excuse religious folks give. I'll tell you what, true enough, if you're not one of God's elect, he's not going to visit you. But you know whose fault it'll be? It'd still be your fault because you didn't ask him to. Turn to John 14 and let me show you this. Can a person know? Can a person know if God's visited them in mercy? That's a good question, and the answer is yes, we can know. Look at John 14, verse 15. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. This is Christ teaching his disciples. 
teaching his people. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you a comforter, that he may abide with you forever. You say, well, I'm in trouble then because I haven't kept the commandments. No, no, it doesn't mean kept them in this world. None of us have done that. Nobody did except Christ. But we've kept them in Christ. If he's our substitute, our representative, we kept them all. And he said, if that's the case, if you're in Christ, do you see that word abide there? That's more than a visit. And that's what this is about. If God visits you in mercy, you know what? It troubled me at first. I thought, I don't want a short visit. I want a long one. I want it to be a long, long visit. I don't worry. If he comes for a visit, you know what? He's never leaving. He's not like the person you don't want there. And you go, I wish they'd go home. No, no, no. If Christ comes, he's bringing the comforter with him, the spirit of God, and he abides. That means he moves in and sets up residence. If Christ visits you in mercy, he's never leaving. That's the good news of the gospel. That's the, new, the comforter is the new man in you. Born again means he's born in you, a new person. You see verse 17, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and shall be in you and I'll not leave you comfortless. I'll come to you yet a little while and the world sees me no more, but you see me because I live you shall live also. At that day you shall know that I am in the Father and you and me and I and you. There's a relationship that's forever. Now the most glorious thing about this is how does this happen? You say, how can I get that to happen? How can I get him to abide in me? Look what comes right before all these verses in verse 13. It says, whatsoever you ask in my name, that's what I'll do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. Listen to this. If you shall just ask anything in my name, I'll do it. You want a visit from God and mercy? It says right there, ask him. If you don't get one, it's because you didn't. It won't be because God's withholding his uh, grace and mercy. No, 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 no. It'll be because we didn't ask for one. Do we see the truth of that? Let me show you one more scripture and we'll be done. 1 John 3. Look over there. 1 John 3. God's people know when they've had a visit in mercy. How do they know this? The Spirit came to visit and never left. 1 John 3, verse 22. Whatsoever you ask, you shall receive, because we keep his commandments. There again, we kept in Christ, and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that you shall believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. He that keepeth his commandments dwells in me, and he in him, and hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. Now, when did Joseph's brothers go to Joseph? <laughs> when they were flat starving to death. And I know when folks will call on the Lord Jesus Christ. When we're so sick of ourselves and our sin, when he shows us who we are, what we are, when we're so hungry that we know the only food there is, is in Christ. And when we're lost and starving, helpless and miserable, disgusted with ourselves, there's no help at hand, we'll cry, Oh, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. That man went into the temple, and he made that cry. I promise you, he had a visit from God in mercy right there. And his life was never, ever the same. And if we get that visit, 
Our life will never be the same, will it? And we can't always explain it, can we? How do you explain that to somebody? Unless we have eyes to see, unless we've had a visit, we simply don't understand. But what a blessing this is. Well, I pray everyone here has had a visit in mercy or soon will. All right.